morning we're going to be reading Psalm 103 together. We're reading all of Psalm 103. And as you read this psalm together with me, I want you to pay attention to what God does as He forgives and as He heals. We'll see that also in our passage from the book of Mark. So let's look together at Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word now. Lord, we pray that you would speak now by your spirit, through your word. Each one of us here needs to be changed. And the way that we're going to be changed is because you're going to do it. And we pray that you would be faithful, that you would change us to love you and to believe in you and to serve you all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name alone. Amen. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. That's Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's listen to God's word together. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. 
And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. My office at home, I have a constant reminder of this passage in the book of Mark. On one of my bookshelves, there's this little paper house. looks kind of like a shoebox. And on the outside... There are all these people drawn on, and they're looking in the windows. They're trying to get in the door. And if you look at the top of the box, there's a big hole cut in the top. That box was a Sunday school prop, right? It was used for some of our kids, the kids of this church, uh, in a recent Sunday school class. And somehow it's ended up on my bookshelf, and I've left it there. Um, why did they use that? Well, they used that prop to learn this story and to learn about Jesus. Many of us probably know this story well. It's one of those ones that we may have heard in our own Sunday school classes, may have heard a sermon about it, but I know that each one of us, each one of us needs to know and believe what Jesus teaches us here. Because Jesus proclaims an amazing truth here that he has the authority to forgive our sins. This is the message of the gospel. And this message of Jesus' free forgiveness of our sins is what you and what I need to hear again this morning. This is life-changing, life-shaping good news. And that really does lead us to the main idea here. Jesus has the authority to forgive all of our sins. And Jesus, as the Son of Man, has the authority to forgive all of our sins. This morning we're going to see two main points. We're going to see faith in the Son of Man, verses 1 through 5. Next we're going to see forgiveness by the Son of Man in verses 5 through 12. Let's look first then at faith in the Son of Man, verses 1 through 5. Now this passage in verse 1 begins as we might expect. Jesus returns home to Capernaum, and he is so popular He's so popular, in fact, that people squeeze into the house to hear Jesus until there's no more room. Nobody else can get in. And what do we find Jesus doing? He is preaching the word to everyone who has come to see him. We've seen crowds coming to Jesus all through chapter 1. And we've seen Jesus' God-given purpose to preach. We've seen that before. This is what he came to do. Chapter 1, verse 38. He came to preach the gospel from all of Scripture and to call for repentance and faith. 
But there's going to be a difference today in the ministry of Jesus. Listen to verses 4 to 5. And they came. We don't know who these men are. We don't know their names. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. These men who did all of this work were committed to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus no matter what the cost. We can read that story, but I want you to imagine, put yourself there, you're in the house, shoulder to shoulder with all these people, and all of a sudden, you start to hear something on the roof. And all of a sudden, there's a little bit of dirt falling. And all of a sudden, there's more dirt falling. And all of a sudden, there is a big hole in the roof. And as you look up, there is a bed being lowered right in front of Jesus. And there's a man who cannot move lying on the bed. That would have been shocking. That would have been shocking for you. It would have been shocking for everyone who, who saw that. The shock of what these men did to get to Jesus would have been very, very high. So why did they do it? Why did they go to such great lengths to reach Jesus? It's because they have faith in Jesus. Look at verse 5. The bed is there, and Jesus looks at them. And when Jesus saw their faith, that's what he sees. He sees their faith. The paralytic and his friends believe that Jesus alone can heal him. They know that all that they've heard and seen about Jesus is true. They know who he is and they trust that Jesus will help them just as he's helped all these other people. That is faith. That's their faith, but it's the same faith that we have as well. Faith is knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Faith is what drives these men to get to Jesus. Now, many people, you yourself, other, we, we're motivated to do lots of even amazing, extraordinary things. My brother runs marathons and he's gotten me into ultra marathon running. Not that I run, but that I read about it. And I read, what motivates someone to be crazy enough to run 100 miles pretty much without stopping? That's amazing motivation. Doesn't have to be that extreme, though. We're motivated to change things in our lives. But all of those things are not actually the same as faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is different from any other kind of thing that happens in our life. It's different because of its source, right? Faith is a life-changing gift from God, not something that comes from within ourselves. Look at Ephesians 2. Here is the gift of God. What is it? Faith. Faith is also different, though, because of its depth. What God does is to change us in the core of who we are, to change our nature, to cause us then to believe and follow Jesus Christ. There is nothing else in life. There is no other motivation that is that strong and that deep in our lives. That is the work of God. God did that same work in the life of a paralytic and his friends. And when we see them coming to Jesus, we are seeing the result of their faith in action. Now this passage is actually the first time in the Gospel of Mark that someone's personal faith 
is mentioned. I don't know if you noticed that, but all through chapter 1, there's lots of people who want to come and see Jesus. The crowds have been following Jesus, but we don't know if they have ever actually believed in him. These men are different. These men have true saving faith. You can see this in what they do when they come to Jesus, but you can also see it in how Jesus responds to them. He forgives the paralytic his sins. Why? Because he sees that they have true faith. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Faith and forgiveness are both gifts of God in our salvation. These two gifts are at the heart of Jesus' message. What was he preaching? He was saying, repent and believe. You need forgiveness and you need faith. And now he's giving this paralytic and his friends exactly what was required. Now these men may have only come to Jesus for a healing. Right? That seems to be what they wanted. That was already an act of extraordinary faith for them to come all this distance to be healed by this man Jesus. But that day, they got so much more than they ever thought they could because Jesus dealt with the paralytic's most important need, forgiveness from his sins. That really shows us that our second point this morning, forgiveness from the Son of Man in verses 5 through 12. When Jesus looks the paralytic in the eye and he tells him, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is actually right then and there forgiving this man all of his sin. Jesus is doing more than just declaring what is true. See, that's what you and I can do, right? I cannot forgive your sins, but I can declare the promises of God to you that if you confess your sins, he will forgive you. That's what I do every Sunday during the assurance of pardon, right? We confess our sins and I give you an assurance of pardon from God's word. I am declaring God's promises of forgiveness to you. You and I, that's as much as we can do. We can declare what is true. Jesus goes further. He isn't just declaring what is true. He's actually making it true. He is doing this. He is forgiving that man's sins. Some of the people who listened to Jesus did not like what they heard when he said that. Look at verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now these scribes, these were men who spent their whole lives studying the Bible and books written about the Bible. They knew their theology backward and forward. And so what they say here is actually partly true. Only God can forgive sins. They're right. You see that all the way through the Bible. And they are also right to say that it is blasphemy for a man to claim to be able to do what God alone can do. That charge of blasphemy, that is a serious charge against Jesus. In the Old Testament, the penalty for blasphemy was death. They are saying that that man in front of us, Jesus Christ, deserves to die for what he has said. So they are partly right. These scribes are partly right. But they are awfully, terribly wrong. 
because they do not actually know Jesus. They believe that the man speaking there is just a man. Maybe he's a great prophet. Yes, he's a miracle worker, but they're wrong because they don't know who Jesus is. Jesus is God himself. He is the very son of God. And because he is God, he has the right and the power to forgive any one of their sins at any time and at any place. The scribes don't know Jesus, so they don't know that he can do this. They don't know Jesus, but it's even more than that. They don't believe Jesus. And the unbelief of these scribes stands in sharp contrast to the faith that we've just seen. The faith of that man lying right in front of them on the bed. You know, those scribes sitting there, they have heard more of Jesus' teaching than that paralytic. They're sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him. The paralytic was far away. They certainly knew more of the Bible than the paralytic ever did. That was their life's work, to study the Bible. And yet they do not believe in Jesus. And actually, as we'll see through the entire Gospel of Mark, many of those same scribes become Jesus' worst enemies. Those scribes are a warning to each one of us. Knowing about Jesus is not the same as believing in Jesus. So many people get that wrong today. They say, you know, when I went to church, maybe when I was younger, I went to Sunday school, I was at VBS, I know all about Jesus. I know all about the gospel. That doesn't make you a Christian. And they need to hear that. Faith in Jesus Christ is what makes you a Christian. We ourselves need to believe that. And we need to also graciously, but firmly explain that to others. So many people, the scribes and people today, are spiritually blind. Right? They, they may hear what Jesus says. They may read about the miracles and the gospel. And yet they do not believe that he is actually God. You know, the sad irony in our passage is that Jesus, in everything he does this day, he is showing them time and time again that he is God. It's like every act of Jesus, every word of Jesus is like, I'm God. And the scribes are saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. That is the sad irony of the passage. They will not believe. Let me give you an example. Did you notice that the scribes' comments, all the things that they're talking about, they're not actually saying anything. It's all in their minds. It's all in their thoughts. They do not stand up and denounce Jesus and say, no, you're wrong. No. They don't even whisper among themselves. They don't kind of nudge their neighbor and say, did he really just say that? Isn't that blasphemy? They don't even say that. It's all in their minds. And yet Jesus knows exactly what each one of them are thinking. Verse 8, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? You know, we all know people who are, who are good at reading others, right? We know people who kind of seem to always know how someone else feels. Jesus is doing so much more here. He knows not just how they feel. He knows the exact thoughts, the exact words that are in their minds of each scribe who is sitting there. Who could do that? Only God. Only God knows our thoughts completely like that. That's just one example of how, God, how Jesus relentlessly shows himself 
to be God, by exposing their unbelief, by showing them that he can see into their hearts and their minds. But Jesus, as he exposed the scribes' unbelief, he does this to teach them a bigger lesson. We see Jesus' purpose actually for everything in this entire story in verse 10. This is the key part here. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Right? This is why Jesus forgives the man's sin instead of just healing him. Did you notice that? He healed him first and then he waited. Or he forgave him first and he waited to heal. This is the reason why Jesus goes out of his way to confront the scribes. They probably doubted him many other times. This is the chance that he took, though, to confront them. This is why Jesus finally does heal the man. All of these parts of the story, he does to show that he alone has the authority to forgive sins. Really, there's a basic question that is at the heart of this passage. Can Jesus do what he says he can do? Can he truly forgive sins? That's the question that Jesus is basically asking the scribes. He says, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, for the scribes, the answer should be pretty easy, right? Because they don't believe that Jesus can actually forgive sins. Jesus can talk all he wants about forgiving sins, but they don't believe he can do it. So then Jesus shows them his power. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man does have authority to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic and he says to him, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And that's what happened. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. No one could deny what Jesus just did in front of those unbelieving scribes. The scribes and everybody else that day could see the power of Jesus' words. The paralyzed man is completely healed just by Jesus speaking. And Jesus heals that man by speaking to show that he can speak and forgive sins as well. The conclusion is simple, but it's important. Jesus' words have power. When Jesus speaks, he always accomplishes what he intends Every single time, he can heal and he can forgive. He can and he does do whatever he says. Why can he do that? Why is that true? Jesus says, because I am the son of man. The son of man. That's the first time we've actually seen that title in the book of Mark. Shows up many times, though, through the rest of this gospel. And it's very important for understanding who Jesus is. That name, Son of Man, comes from a vision in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Listen to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Daniel says, I saw the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, this Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This vision in Daniel is a vision of Jesus Christ. 
being given authority by God his Father over all creation as the king. And in our passage in Mark, when Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, that authority now has a specific focus. I have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus is saying that my Father has given me authority as the king to forgive all the sins of my people right here, And right now, we don't need to wait for anything else. That's part of why Jesus actually says here that he has the authority to do this on earth. He has the authority to do this because he is present now. And he is present and powerful. Today, Jesus has the authority to forgive the sins of his people anytime, anyplace. He's not here with us in his body, no, But he's here with us still. He is present and powerful through his spirit. And his promise to save and to forgive and his work to actually do that continues. So can Jesus do what he says he can do? Can Jesus truly forgive our sins? Yes, he can. This is who he is. And this is what he came to do. He can do it. And he even loves to do it. Think about that paralytic. Jesus saw that paralytic and he cared for him body and soul and he forgave him all his sins. Do you believe that? I'm going to make that question even more pointed. Do you believe that Jesus can forgive your sins? And more than that he can do it, do you believe that Jesus loves to forgive your sins. He doesn't love your sin, right? He does not love our sin, and he doesn't just let our sin go. No, he came to forgive sins, and he did it by sacrificing himself on the cross. He did that to pay for that paralytic, and he did that to pay for each one of his people. That's the price of the forgiveness that Jesus offers here in this passage. His own life and death is the price of your forgiveness. He took the wrath of God on himself for you. That is the most expensive gift in the entire world. But the good news of the gospel is that it is a gift because Jesus doesn't make you pay anything. It's true, you need to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus for salvation But God even gives those graces to you as well. It is God's work from first to last. Let me make a few applications as we close this morning. Jesus saw the greatest need of this paralytic. And we need to see the greatest need of every single person we will ever meet. You know, if, if you had been in that room and you had seen that paralytic being carried by his friends, lowered down to meet Jesus, you would have seen a man with a great need, right? He needed to be healed. You could have seen that with your eyes. And even the paralytic, he probably thought that was his greatest need as well. That's why he came to meet Jesus. I need to be healed. But when Jesus looked at him, he saw the man's true, greatest, deepest need, forgiveness of sins. And as we look at our own lives, and as we look at the lives of others, we see many needs as well, right? We have health concerns. 
relationship troubles, there's discouragement, depression, financial problems, finding out our purpose in life. The list could go on. There are so many issues and needs in our life. And those needs, all of those and more, are important. And they can sometimes seem overwhelming at times. And we can and we should help to fix those needs when we can. But none of those are anyone's greatest need. Every single person in the world needs to be forgiven of their sins because every single person in the world has sinned against a holy and just God and deserves his wrath. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, has the power and authority to meet that need. And he will do it for every single person that he has chosen. Do we believe in Christ that way when we get to know someone? Do we really deep down believe that they need Christ and his forgiveness more than anything else in the world? If we believe that, that will affect everything about our relationship with people around us. Because what we want is we want them to meet Jesus. We don't just want to talk about the weather or about sports, or even fix their car, or do all sorts of nice things. No, deep down what we want for them is to meet Jesus and be forgiven of their sins. Let me give you an example of this. When you meet somebody, when I meet somebody, do we talk about Christ that way as the answer to their needs? Do we pray that God would give us the words to show our friends, our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, anyone we meet, do we pray that God would give us words to show them that Christ alone is who they need in their lives? Now, there's a related application, though, and it actually goes right under this. It's the foundation for this. It's the foundation for our witness like that in our lives because we have to depend on Christ ourselves if we're ever going to tell anybody else. You know, I'm sure you know that. I'm sure each one of us knows that we need to depend on Christ for his forgiveness of our sins. And the, the truth is that that's true, right? Christ has declared your sins and my sins forgiven. Every single one of our sins, past, present, and future, he's declared those sins forgiven, right? When we came to him in faith, he took those sins as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And that forgiveness that he has done is applied to us right now because we continue to sin we need to continue to depend on christ for forgiveness you know when we don't do that when we don't depend on christ well for forgiveness leads to all sorts of problems we beat ourselves up over our sins you know we think that's a way of trying to fix our sin without christ's forgiveness or we try to hide from our sins we maybe pretend they aren't that bad or that they aren't really there now that's a way of saying that you don't actually need Christ's forgiveness because you don't really have real sins. When I say those things, I want you to know, I want you to hear very clearly, trust me, I am preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. We all struggle with depending on Christ's forgiveness. But we can take Jesus at his word. He forgives all the sins of all of his people. That truth is going to transform how we talk to others and that truth is going to transform how we live. Because when we depend on Christ's forgiveness, for forgiveness, that allows us to be open about our sin. We don't need to hide our sin. 
doesn't mean you have to go tell everybody about all the things you've been doing, but we don't need to hide our sin when we're talking to our brothers and sisters, and especially when we are talking to God. We are forgiven. Christ has paid for that sin that you're trying to hide or that you don't want to talk about. Depending on Christ for forgiveness also allows us to be quick to ask for forgiveness. Christ has forgiven us. He said, come and repent, and I will always take you in. Every single time. That should drive us to be quick to ask for forgiveness, both from God and from each other. And as we depend on Christ for forgiveness, that also makes us quick to give forgiveness as well. Ephesians 4.32, forgive, why? As Christ has forgiven you. That is the drumbeat of our lives. That as we depend on Christ's forgiveness, that is freeing. It's freeing to be open and forgiving and to ask for forgiveness. We can do all of these things and more because Christ has freely met and continues to meet our deepest needs. He has given us the forgiveness of sins that we need. As you think about Christ and what he has done, I can't help but think, what a Savior. What a Savior we have. What a Savior we have to love and to serve, to come to, to pray to, to rely on, and what a Savior to proclaim to the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, so many of us here know that you have forgiven our sins. And Lord, if there are any here who may know that but do not believe it, we pray that you'd be at work in their hearts to bring them to repentance, to bring them to a place where they know that you are their only hope. And more than that, that you love to forgive us. You love to forgive sinners whom you have chosen. We pray, Lord, also that you would transform our lives as we rely on your forgiveness day by day. You have the authority to forgive all of our sins, and you delight to do that for us. Thank you also, Lord, that we can look forward to a day when our sins will be completely taken care of. We know they're forgiven, but when we come to you in heaven, we won't have any more sin. You have washed us clean completely. You've taken away all those last little bits of sin in our life, and we'll be perfect. Lord, we pray that even as we worship you and serve you in our life now, that you would make us look forward to that, and that you would also, day by day, make us come to you for forgiveness, free forgiveness in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.